Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 4th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Politicians are enjoying a two-week break from dull business with the recess for Easter. The government is working, however, and the Cabinet meets today, as it usually does, on a Tuesday. Housing, no doubt, will be to the fore with predictions today that as many as 30,000 people could be forced into homelessness in the coming months. The cost of living poses so many problems for so many people. Just yesterday, the research group Cantar said the cost of groceries will increase on average by €1,200 Euro a year for families. Groceries went up by 9.5% in the last four weeks alone. The cost of energy is, of course, through the roof, but that's a bittersweet story for the government because it could result in more taxes, possibly €1 billion Euro more for the Exchequer before VAT and excise is factored in. Bittersweet too, perhaps, is a new rate of corporation tax from January next year, when the rate is set to increase from 12.5% to 15%. That's what the government will be looking at today. The government policy is, and has been for a very long time, a low tax policy for big multinational companies. The idea is that Ireland is seen as an attractive place to do business because less tax means more profit. And if they do their business here, that means jobs and that whatever little tax they do pay goes into the government's coffers. Workers paying 20 or 40% tax on their income should be forgiven for thinking a 15% tax rate sounds too good to be true and odd that it will apply to companies whose turnover is in excess of 750 million euro. Let's speak to the Director of Social Justice Ireland, Sean Healy. A very good morning to you, Sean, and thanks uh, for joining us. I think uh, it's probably true to say that uh, the government has been dragged kicking and screaming to sign up to this global OECD deal. But what will it mean and and will it, uh, in fact, result uh, in uh, huge uh, tax returns for the government? 
Well, the, 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 what they're forecasting at the moment is that they're going to lose um, they're going to lose income from the corporate tax side. However, my own view is that I want to see how they calculate these things because, very interestingly, despite the fact that they're they give certain numbers out and they used they were for a long time saying that the change would cost us two billion euro and now they're saying it will cost us four and a half billion euro if if this is fully implemented uh, and. Uh, but they've never been prepared to show how they calculate that. Mm. And like parliamentary questions have been put down to the Minister for Finance. Well, not, not the present minister, the previous minister, Pascal Donoghue. And uh, the, the answers that he has provided are a disgrace, basically. He, yeah. he hasn't really, like a lot of the way they answer parliamentary questions, they don't answer the question at all. Um, so in that sense, I, have, I always have doubts about things like that coming out of the Department of Finance, because I think what they're trying to do is prepare the ground for something that they're actually going to implement that will, in effect, benefit corporate taxation or corporate, the corporate side. And in, in reality, uh, Ireland has a very, very sympathetic approach to the corporate sector. Everybody mm. knows that. Um, now, what they're actually going to do, apparently, now, we, we don't know the detail on this, and we won't know yeah. until after today's meeting, as you said, you know. But they're talking about, okay, they, they, corporations over 750 million uh, turnover will actually have to... Uh, pay 15% uh, in total. But apparently they're going to leave the 12.5% current rate in place and then they're just going to add some kind of a top-up top up, mechanism yeah. mm. to catch this. But but the bottom line in all of this, you see, is that people need to stand back and government needs to stand back and recognise that like Ireland needs to broaden its tax base and it needs to increase its overall tax take. Why, why does it want to, to mm. why does it need to uh, increase? Well, it goes back to that argument of making it an attractive place to do business uh, and that will result in jobs and whatever tax is being paid going to the Irish government but people probably are a bit bamboozled at the moment so the idea is that they increase the tax rate but it'll end up in 4 billion less uh, in taxes than they're already receiving is that down to where the profits are being recorded it's worse than that because basically what we have at the moment if you look at the top companies in Ireland they're paying 1 or 2 or 3% in tax now if there's going to be a minimum 15% that they have to pay I cannot see how you're going to increase the tax rate by 3% or in reality the real tax rate up to a minimum effective corporate tax rate of 15%. Yeah, by 12% for some companies. That's right. It'll go up by 12% for some companies. And and that you're going to lose tax income. Okay. You lose a certain amount because there is this um, pillar one in which they basically uh, the the OECD agreement uh, is, is going to lead to a situation where more of the tax will go in the country where the actual uh, consumer provided the money in the first place. But looking at it from where Ireland is at the moment, there's a huge gap between what Ireland is taking at the moment at 15%, because that no, 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 no transnational corporation is paying 12.5%, which is the current rate. They, they, as I say, a whole lot of them uh, just pay uh, Two or three percent, and the, 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 what's going on in effect, you see, is they, 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 the Department of Finance calculates it in a particular way, but and leaves out 
huge swathes of the money that comes through and doesn't charge it at all. And the result is that that the real number is much the real number in terms of the percent of tax of the profits that are coming and in, going in taxation are much lower than they are supposed to be. Which is why we in Social Justice Ireland have been mm-hmm. arguing for decades that there should be a minimum effective corporate tax rate. That no matter mm-hmm. what happens, they shouldn't be allowed to let their tax rate go below this rate. Okay, that's exactly what the OECD has concluded after mm-hmm. years of study, and now it's going to come into play. And I think we have to face up to the fact that Ireland is going to need additional additional taxation in the time ahead. Not because it's going to have an aging population, it's going to have health issues, pension needs. Uh, you know, we're going to have to pay an EU contribution that we used to have to pay before. We have to fund local government. We have to pay for housing. We have to pay for the various other pieces like public transport and so on, and the carbon work that has to be done and the climate change uh, work that has to be done. So there's a lot of bills coming down, new bills coming down, and higher bills coming down the road. That's why I Ireland needs to broaden its tax base and increase its overall tax take. Okay, but this uh, idea of paying tax tax on the profits in the country where the profits were made uh, is correct, isn't it? I mean, people will remember uh, there was a a brass plate on a a building uh, in uh, the financial centre where Apple had no people working, no computers, nothing to talk of uh, in terms of running a a business, but were running millions of profits profit through that and that's just one example out of many Billions, I think, actually, Michael, yes. mm. was that was yeah. even higher. Like, it, it, that is exactly the way the thing runs. And th- now, there's only a percent, as I understand it, the pillar one, which is they're very slow in implementing across the OECD, not just in Ireland. Uh, but the, it seems to me that there will be. Um, it, it, that it won't apply 100% to like that. All of the profits will be uh, generated by. The, the, the consumers uh, will they, they will be paid in the country where the consumers live. Uh, we we'll see we we'll see how that actually op- op- operates. But whatever way that goes, uh, I think we need to face up to two things. One is that Ireland needs to expand and uh, broaden its tax base and increase its tax take. But we also have to face up to the fact that, and you mentioned this in your introduction, really, like. Taking even a 15% of profit means that the corporations get to keep 85% of their profits. It's not their turnover we're talking about, it's their profit. Mm. Whereas the PAYE worker has no choice but to pay the 20 or 40%, whatever the tax due is, and it's not on the, pers- on, on the money that you have left over when you have your bills paid, it's on the very income that you make. Okay, so mm. like the the basis for uh, the, the the for taxation of the individual as against the co- taxation of corporations is very unfair, and it's loaded completely on the side of the corporate sector. And I think I think we need to take a serious look at that. And Ireland has, I would be very negative and very critical of the position that Ireland has taken over the years in the OECD negotiations and so on, in trying all the time to represent the corporate point of view and not actually facing up to the fact that of Ireland's own needs in the the taxation area, if we're to have the services and the infrastructure and so on, that that would go, that we identify with a thriving economy in a modern state. 
Yeah. Is this going to happen? Uh, because uh, what we're talking about, 135 different countries, yep. uh, and uh, it's to be in place by January, uh, and I take it that's across the globe, and <clears throat> it looks very uncertain in the United States where there's huge resistance to this. That's true, but I thought to him, part of the resistance in the United States is they want a higher rate. They want a rate of somewhere around 22% um, rather than the 15 that's here. And I think 22 would be a, would be a much fairer kind of tax rate. Um, and that would still that still leaves the corporation with seventy eight percent of its profits uh, in its back pocket. Like it's uh, it, 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 the tax take is still lower in that space relatively compared to uh, the individual and PAYE worker. But I think it will happen, and the reason it will happen uh, is twofold. First of all, there is a very widespread uh, con- um, recognition at this stage that the tax system is rigged in favour of the corporate sector and that this needs to be straightened out and that it's rigged in favour of the big t- uh, corporate sector. It's not. It's like small companies don't get huge favours much of the time here, in this, in, this, in, the, in not just here but in, in anywhere across this system. The other issue is the OECD has been serious about it, and is the OECD is the Organisation of Economic Com- Cooperation and Development, basically pulling together all the sort of developed countries in the Western world, um, in both in North and South, and um, it's basically. Uh, has been trying to get this agreement into place for for many years and I think we're close to it now and I don't think the OECD will let it go uh, and as a result I think we will have no choice but to implement it and I welcome the fact that it's put into place and I also um, would call on government to uh, and the Department of Finance in particular uh, to actually show us how they calculate the numbers that they're coming out with because to come out with numbers like uh, you know we're going to lose four and a half billion in tax having already said that the number was going to be two billion but it's not so much that the refusal to show how they actually calculated says something very profound to me and really raises my suspicions because yeah. I, there's many things that I can point to where the Department of Finance is concerned where they are interested and the, I can give, document this mm-hmm. very easily um, that they are consist, cons, very very focused on not letting the information out into the open where we can have a serious discussion about uh, the shape of it and whether it's accurate first of all and whether it's the best thing to do for the country as well okay uh, in simple terms make it easy for us to understand why is this so important i mean i think the oecd would argue that it'll stop uh, people uh, from dying from starvation in the Horn of Africa or children going to bed hungry at night. But many of our listeners this morning will be thinking to themselves, how am I supposed to come up with €1,200 Euro extra a year for my groceries? Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do, is, is there a connection between the, the two issues? There absolutely is. You see, what's actually happening is the way that we in Ireland have been dealing uh, with the corporate sector is that the corporate sector can keep most. The, the, this is I'm talking about the large transnationals now. I'm not talking about the small co- the small companies in the in local high streets or whatever. I'm talking about the big uh, the big corporates. They can keep. Um, at this moment, up to 
in reality up to 97 or 8% of many of them can keep that amount of their profits for themselves. That is fundamentally wrong. And then at the same time, uh, when when there's a hit because of the whatever uh, a crisis may, may, may strike us, whether that's COVID or whether it's uh, the war in Ukraine or whatever, uh, and we get a crisis and suddenly people wind up having to pay another 1200 for their groceries to, or, mm. they had, they, they, or the, 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 the cost of travel goes through the roof or just the cost of living goes through the roof, which is what's happening at the moment. Um, and what happens in that context, it falls back on the individual. What we need is to have a, 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 a thriving economy. I think most people want a thriving economy, including me. But to do that, we have to have the services in areas like health and education. We have to have the infrastructure in mm. like housing and public And transport. that's what we pay taxes for. Uh, and I, I guess that's the, 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 the point or the question, is it not? If they're not paying their taxes, is it the equivalent of taking money out of our pockets? It is, because in effect... The corporations are giving are getting huge benefits, and in reality, they they get a far better deal in the tax system than the individual does, and that's the key point that that people need to constantly be aware of. That there's the way the Irish government goes go, goes at taxation, it does it in a way that supports hugely supports the corporate sector, and in in fact. If you were like, I, I would say that in many ways the Irish government is uh, is sort of not not supporting or is even undermining the community because it doesn't support it sufficiently, uh, so that uh, at the same so that it can continue to 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 uh, be in fact a huge supporter of hugely excessive profits. All right, well, we'll hear more about this after the cabinet meeting uh, this morning. But uh, we leave it there for the moment, Sean. Pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you indeed for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, That's Father Sean Healy, the Director of Social Justice Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Dentists are very concerned uh, that children under seven uh, may find it uh, difficult, if not impossible, to see a dentist. Fintan Hurran is the chief executive of uh, the Irish Dental Association and joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Fintan, and thank you indeed for joining us. Put simply, this is because of a policy to move dental care from the public sector into the private sector, but your members in the private private sector say they don't have the capacity to take on young children. That's very much the case, Michael. Thank you. Yes. Yesterday launched a major... I'm sorry, Fenton. You're on, you're, on, you're on a mobile, obviously. Uh, the line is breaking up. Uh, we'll need to try and uh, improve on that line because um, <laughs> I think anybody listening uh, is aware it's very difficult uh, to hear what's being said. But uh, there's a shortage, uh, whilst we try to get into Mecca on the line, there's a shortage, they say, of 76 dentists which would uh, need to be recruited immediately. Now, if you recruited the 76 dentists 
immediately. That would bring uh, the number of dentists working in the public sector back to the level that it was at 15 years ago. That's 330 compared to 254. Now, uh, let's uh, go back to Fintan Huron. I think we have him on a better line now and uh, thanks for coming back to us. Uh, I was just saying that uh, you say in your statement on this uh, that 76 dentists would be needed to be recruited to, to the public sector immediately to go back to the level uh, that was in place 15 years ago. Yes, and you know we have seen a gradual um, uh, loss of capacity in the public service. I just checked on the number of children that were screened in both Louth and Meath in, in the last couple of years. And in Louth, for example, whereas we had 5,500 children screened by the service in 2019, it was down to 1,800 last year. In Meath, we had four, nearly 5,000 in 2019, and it was half that last year. So you were seeing the consequences of you know, the continued loss of dentists from the public service. The HSE seems to have a policy of stealth by not replacing dentists uh, as they retire. The number of children uh, eligible to be seen has increased all the time. And we're concerned that their answer seems to be, well, we'll ask children to go to see private dentists when clearly private dentists are struggling to, to meet the demand for, for, for care from adults. Mm. So this this is something that needs to be rethought. We uh, are now going to meet the Minister for Health after a long wait, and we will be explaining to him that this is not the approach that, uh, that should be taken. It's one of the issues I think you've been hoping to discuss with the Minister. How long have you been waiting for that meeting? Well, this will be our first in-person meeting with Minister Donnelly since he took office, and it's it's long overdue because... You know, there's been a lot of promises and a lot of talk, but really there's been no action. There's been no discussion on the many problems in terms of access to dental care, whether it's the, the, the schemes or the lack of dentists, the, the capacity to provide care for all patients. It's badly needed and it needs to be given top priority because it's been sorely neglected for the best part of two decades. It's Minister Donnelly is the sixth minister in office uh, since the Department of Health walked out of talks on discussing a new medical card scheme uh, 15 years ago. So, you know, it's time that was priority given to oral health because we are seeing the consequences, whether adults can't be seen or children can't be seen. And coming up with these types of ideas, you know, we, we've seen it with hospitals before where they've reconfigured hospitals and they've changed and then they realise afterwards that they, you know, uh, mm. they, they can't understand why there's now an overcrowding problem in, for example, Limerick when they took capacity out of, of Nina and Ennis. So there's plenty of examples. Uh, if there's going to be change, it should be done with the support of the profession and done in, in an orderly way, but not, you know, uh, removing capacity, shifting it elsewhere, and then realising that, well, actually, we're actually worse off than we were. How difficult would it be to recruit 76 dentists to the public sector? It would be a 23% increase on the existing workforce, wouldn't it? It would be it would be difficult, and I suppose part of the problem is that we're now reliant on bringing in dentists from overseas. And while they are very welcome, we don't make it easy for them because there are restrictions in terms of how they can work, in terms of work permits, in terms of registration issues. Uh, we clearly need to expand the number of places in our dental school. So yesterday's policy paper from the association set out a number of different changes that are required, and they largely. Uh, fall on the state to to uh, make these changes uh, to to make it more attractive to increase the number of 
dentists who can work here and indeed nurses and hygienists and uh, you know the public service is going to have to compete with private practices who are also short of dentists but you know the consequences are that people are having to travel further and to wait longer for for dental care and something has to be done we're we're you know quite tired at this stage of constantly highlighting the problem trying to persuade the government to act and hopefully this this may prompt them to actually roll up their sleeves and sit down and talk to us is it that we need 76 more dentists in the country regardless of whether they work for the public sector or the private sector no, I mean, we, we would think we need 76 dentists to bring us back to the staffing levels that were there in the public service 15 years ago. Um, we, we actually believe that closer to 500 dentists are needed because we look at the, uh, the, the, the job ads in our own journal and we can see that there's huge difficulty in private practices attracting dentists. There, there's keen competition to, to attract dentists. Uh, some dentists are working in different ways. They're not as available as they might have been heretofore. So we have a need for a, a proper workforce plan. And that's something, again, we have called for because no one has any real idea, A, as to how many dentists are actually working in the country at present, or B, what the demand is and the size of the gap and how we actually bridge that gap, because it's going to take a number of years to, to deal with all of this. Mm. Okay, but uh, that's uh, an incredible uh, amount uh, of uh, dentists uh, that are are required. How did it end up like this? How did it get so bad? Why wasn't something done before now? Well, there's been a gradual erosion. The the HSE Dental Service looks after not only children, but also special care patients. And what has happened is that as dentists retire, they aren't being replaced. But on the other hand, the number of eligible patients, the number of children and special care patients that are entitled to see uh, care uh, has increased. So, you know, we're, we're looking at both supply and demand issues. But clearly a, a decision was made in the HSE not to uh, hire extra dentists to replace simply those who are, who are leaving. We've countless examples um, and, you know, we, we've repeatedly highlighted our concerns. And unfortunately, successive administrations haven't seen it as a priority and we're now left with the inevitable uh, chaos and and delays and waiting lists. Mm, But it's across the board. Uh, Obviously, it's not attractive uh, to establish a private practice. Well, I I, I think, you know, really there's a greater demand. Maybe there's a delayed pandemic effect, but Mm. uh, there there aren't enough people to to meet the demand and the population has increased as well. So, I don't think it's necessarily that's not attractive enough. I think there's just simply a shortage of uh, of supply. All right. Well, there's obviously a shortage of uh, supply because we do hear from so many people who can't get an, an appointment uh, with a dentist. Uh, you'll be meeting with the minister and you'll be making all of these points too, Stephen Donnelly, obviously. We will indeed. And we hope that you know we can agree a plan because there is a lot of work to be done. It's time that this government gave the proper priority. It, it has made a lot of promises but so far, you know, there's no evidence that there's any improvement being made. And certainly, if they're not talking to us as the representatives of the dental profession, it's hard to see, A, what the plan is, and B, how any kind of progress can be achieved. 
Okay, thank you indeed for joining us this morning, Fintan Fintan Hurahan, Chief Executive of uh, the Irish Dental Association. Now, if you'd like to make a comment on uh, the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Let me just remind you of how you can get in touch. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can ring us on 0419832000. You can text or WhatsApp 0861800658 and you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, it's going to be a, a very big day in the United States, a, a very big day in New York, a very big day for the police in New York, and the barriers are up and uh, the crowds are out and they shout, I love Trump, or we love Trump, and they certainly do love Trump. Uh, it's expected that a, a lot of people will be attending the protests in New York City today. The former president, Donald Trump, uh, will a- arrive at uh, the courts uh, in around half 11 in New York this morning uh, and then will be in front of a, a judge around half past seven this evening uh, where it's expected he's going to face a-, a number of charges. Where all of that goes from there uh, is anybody's guess. It, it looks like it uh, could be a story that goes on for some time to come before a trial uh, is actually uh, on the cards. Uh, But it's certain at this stage uh, that Mr. Trump is going to be uh, arrested, uh, fingerprints taken, etc. and so on. And we'll be hearing more about that with Larry Donnelly just after 10 o'clock this morning. Now, there's a, a lot of concern. There's been a lot of concern for weeks uh, about the number of people who are going to be uh, evicted in the coming months. Threshold is saying this morning that that number could uh, be between 20 and 30,000 people in the coming months. Uh, And this follows uh, those figures uh, that came from the Residential Tenancies Board, the RTB, that we spoke uh, about yesterday. Some 4,329 notices of quit were issued by landlords in the last quarter of 2022. Some 2,513 of those were because the landlord wanted to sell their property. Now, that's no surprise whatsoever to the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers. Pat Davitt is uh, the Chief Executive of the IPAV and he's on the line. A very good morning to you, Pat, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Uh, You were expecting landlords wanting to sell up, were you? Um, Good morning, Mike. Yes, well, uh, obviously from what we hear from landlords, and we don't represent landlords, we represent agents uh, who deal with landlords, but from what we've been hearing from them, what our members have been hearing from them, yes, uh, many of the landlords are selling up and want to get out of the rental market at the moment. And I suppose these figures to us, uh, they're no surprise. In actual fact, the surprise about them is that they're not a lot higher than they actually are because they're lower than than the previous three months uh, which is July, August and September, which uh, in actual fact, not all of July were taken into, into even consideration in those three months. And they were 4,741 and the October, November, December, 4,329. So that what, what surprised us was that those figures weren't probably over 5,000 or even heading for 6,000. Really? So, Why so? Uh, because uh, we hear all the talk about the eviction ban. Mm. We hear all the talk about all the landlords that are leaving the market and wanting to leave the market. So one would imagine if that's the case and that is factual, 
that there would be more landlords wanting to leave than there was three months prior because it's only in the past couple of months that all this has kicked off with the eviction ban and whether it's going to be lifted or whether it's not and all the different things that happened with it. Mm. So one would imagine that if those were if those numbers were coming to pass that there would be more. And the big thing about these numbers is, Mike, that I, we hear everybody saying this is unprecedented and we've never seen this before. We've never had these figures before. So we don't know how many landlords were leaving prior. And we've been looking for these figures since 2018. Believe it or believe it not, we were the first body that actually talked about and did a survey with the members, landlords leaving the market. And we, if you like, blew the whistle on this in 2018. And we've been looking for exactly those figures that I'm reading out to you now. Uh, since then, and eventually, it happened to be that the RTB a law was brought in that a landlord, when they're leaving the market, that they had to notify the RTB. And hence, that happened in July 2022, and the figures are collated from there on. So that we don't know how many landlords, we don't know whether these figures are normal, whether they're not normal, or what they are, hmm. except, that, except that they're quite high. But it, it should uh, be very attractive uh, to somebody who can uh, afford to buy a property uh, and to rent it out to somebody uh, to pay the mortgage or to uh, take the rent uh, as uh, their profits, as the case may be. Why is that not the case? Well, why it's not the case is, I'll give you a simple example, and then I'll talk to you about why it's not the case. But I'll give you a simple example of a landlord at the moment. Um, it's come through one of my members, where last August, his rent... His, his mortgage, he has 325000 borrowed over 21 years with interest only to buy a property. And that mortgage last, last August was €314 Euros was the price he was paying per month for it. Right, with the rate increases that has happened since, his mortgage now with the, and he's still only paying back interest, his mortgage now with the extra 3.5% put on top of his rate is €1,140. Euros. And his rent is 1030 Mm. So, like, and that's only one case, but I am not saying every landlord is like that because many landlords have their properties paid for. Yeah. Many of them don't. But, like, for new people coming into the but, market. Well, you're ta- what's the difference there? A hundred and something a month? Uh, well, a thousand and thirty is his rent. Yeah. And his mortgage is actually, un- and that's only the mortgage is 1140 So you're looking at a hundred euros roughly a month mm. that it's costing him. But he's going to end up with an asset worth, God knows what, 200, 300, 400. I don't know. Yeah, he's got, well, he's only you know, paying interest at the moment. He's not even paying back the principal, so he's going to yeah. end up with the mortgage at the end of 21 years of 325,000. I know, but I mean, it, it's very hard. Uh, I mean, if you were to put 130 euro in, into the bank, uh, you probably would end up with 120 after 30 years, uh, the way things are with interest rates at the moment. Uh, there's a very good return on that, is there not? There's, there's an absolute very, very poor return, Mike. And the problem is that and the problem why a lot of these landlords are leaving the market is a lot of them are caught in the RPSEDs. They cannot increase their rent. So, and I don't mean increase the rent by enormous amounts. I mean increase the rent to market rent, which a lot of people in, in, the, in the rental market, if you have two properties, you for instance yourself, if you own two properties, the exact same properties, one of them that you might have been keeping the rent up to date on, you could be getting €2,000 a month for it. But one of them because you've had a tenant in it up to 2016, and that tenant was paying you the rent and you were quite happy to leave it as it was, leave the rent as it was, knowing up to 2016 that if that person left or if you wanted to increase the rent, that you could increase the rent. Mm. But when 2016 came and the rent pressure zones came in, you couldn't increase that rent any longer. 
So then you're left in a situation where you have one property rented at €2,000 a month and you have one property rented at €1,000 a month. Mm. And they could be identical properties next door to each other, yeah. Mm. They could be next door to Mm. each other. The Mm. same person could own them. But because of the fact that you didn't put up the rent on one, you're caught in a situation where you can't put the rent up on the rent pressure zones. And actually, Mike, what we're finding is, and I know um, some people laugh at this, but this is actual factual. Uh, some people who are renting property, a lot of people consider pe- renting, people who is renting property in all, they're poor people and they don't have money and they don't have this and they don't have that, which I'm sure some are. Uh, but a lot of people renting property, that's their choice. That's what they want to do. And they want to rent their property. They don't want to buy a property. Mm. So and they can afford to pay their rent and there's no problem. But some people in that situation that I've described are actually offering those landlords more rent for the property because they're being evicted out of the property because the rent is too low. But the landlord can't take any more prop- any more rent mm. because they're in a rent pressure zone. Yeah, uh, and and they were obviously being fair to the tenant uh, back in 2016. It's like they're being punished uh, for being fair to people. They're being punished for being fair to people. And what's worse than that, uh, Mike, is that Again, some people are saying, oh, why can't the landlord sell the property with the tenant in it? Of course they can. But if you, again, go back to the situation where you're getting 1000 for one property and 2000 for another property, that property at 1000 is only worth half of the value of the one with the 2000 regardless of the fact of what you paid for it. Mm. Because you can only sell it on the basis of the yield you're getting for it from the rent. Whoever buys it uh, has to charge the same in rent. They can't increase the rent either, in other words. They can't increase the rent. Mm-hmm. They can't increase the rent. But what they're buying, they buy the property then on the basis of a yield. Where's, so where, where, where's the solution to all of this, though? Because uh, I, I know you said in your statement uh, that the debate on the ban was an absolute disgrace because of uh, the way... Uh, that it made landlords luck or it pitted landlords against tenants. But we have a, a real problem uh, and I don't think anybody wants to see 30,000 people being evicted in the coming weeks. Well, I don't think anybody wants to see 30,000 people come, be evicted in the coming weeks and there's absolutely no doubt about that. And I don't believe that's going to happen. Uh, there is, at the moment, there is that number uh, for, the, for evictions are 4,329 for the last three months of the year. But what happens with a lot of these eviction bans is that, or evictions is that uh, when they're done out and they're sent to the actual tenants, some of them are correct, some of them are not correct. Uh, we haven't got a figure for that yet from the RTB, but I would say that figure could be 30 or 40%, and maybe even more. Mm. So that, uh, those, that landlord has to go back again and has to do the eviction notice. So it's not that this is all going to happen at the one time, but I think for landlords who want to leave the market, it is going to happen. But we have to remember that those properties are not leaving the market with the landlord. Those properties are being sold and somebody is buying those properties, probably a first-time buyer who is renting a property themselves. So when they buy that property, they're leaving a rented property. Mm. So like, it's not a thing that we're moving around the chairs on, on, or the deck chairs on the, on, on, on the ship, but at the same time, we're not in a situation where those properties are actually going to go and nobody's going to live in them. Okay, we'll see what it, it means uh, for people over the coming months, obviously, when uh, uh, it pans out and does, uh, whether one offsets the other or, or not. Uh, hopefully that will be the case, uh, but time will tell. Pat, I'm out of time, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. Pat David, Chief Executive of the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing, the former American President Donald Trump is in New York City where he's set to face charges related to hush money payments to the adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Mr. Trump is expected to surrender in the next hour and a half at a Manhattan courthouse. We love Trump! 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 Well, a number of supporters outside of Trump Tower expressing their undying support for the former American president, but a most dramatic day and historic day for that matter, lies ahead. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway, political correspondent for the journal.ie, joins us. Good morning to you, Larry, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Uh, There's uh, undoubtedly going to be a a number of people protesting in support of Mr. Trump. Yeah, there there certainly will be. I mean, the size of the demonstrations, I think, remains to be seen. Uh, Certainly the clarion call, I suppose you could that Donald Trump issued to his supporters from the minute he announced that he was going to be uh, indicted and arrested. Certainly it didn't produce the sort of massive unrest that perhaps uh, he would have liked. So the size and the scale of whatever demonstration happens remains to be seen. Uh, And we do know that the city of New York is is pulling out all the stops in terms of uh, preparation, in terms of having police officers ready uh, to confront anything that does happen. So uh, my own guess is that it's not going to be on a dramatic scale. But again, uh, as with everything Donald Trump does, who knows? All right. Well, dramatic or otherwise, uh, there is obviously concern. And if you bear with me for a moment, we'll hear some of uh, that concern from the mayor of New York, Eric Adams. So while there may be some rabble-rousers thinking about coming to our city tomorrow, a message is clear and simple. Control yourselves. New York City is our home, not a playground for your misplaced anger. And although we have no specific threats, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is known to spread misinformation and hate speech, uh, she stated she's coming to town. While you're in town, be on your best behavior. Best behavior is to be order of the day. If Mayor Adams gets his way, uh, that says a lot, really, doesn't it? Asking Trump's uh, supporters not to use New York uh, as a playground for their misplaced anger. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I think zero tolerance will be the order of the day uh, from uh, New York law enforcement. And, you know, the mayor's tough talk there is, uh, obviously uh, on point because of the threat that, you know, just one person uh, with a gun can do a tremendous amount of damage. We obviously don't want to think about that, but only one person, that's all it takes for something bad to go awry. Uh, on the other hand, we also need to think that uh, Donald Trump uh, is enormously unpopular uh, in the city of New York. So Eric Adams there coming down hard uh, on Trump's supporters is also uh, politically, it's good for him. Uh, so it works at a couple of different levels. And I think that there could be protests and counter-protests. Uh, but he, he named one individual there specifically, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, why is the mayor of New York concerned about that woman? Well, she's been because she's a, a congresswoman who's a, pretty, a fairly radically right-wing person who's a Trump disciple uh, and who has said that she is going to come to New York. And uh, again, given her closeness to 
uh, the gun lobby and indeed the radical fringe elements of American politics. She's made statements in the past uh, that were supportive of QAnon and other things. Um, obviously, she's somebody who they would be worried about. She is somebody who uh, potentially could uh, draw. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our people to New York, so uh, I think it's pretty clear as to why he's naming her specifically. Right, yeah, obviously a person who uh, wields a, a lot of influence with right-wing uh, conspiracy theories uh, and uh, found herself in, in deep water, although she may think otherwise, after uh, describing uh, the Democrats as a party of paedophiles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's a rather reprehensible person, to, to be perfectly frank with you. Uh, and one of the things, Michael, again, people ask me sometimes, how do people like this get elected to office? How do, how do they manage to get there? And one of the biggest systemic issues here is that uh, the, the, the districting, congressional districting, uh, effectively what we have in the United States is congressional districts that are drawn specifically so that they're either to very safe Republican districts or they're very safe Democratic districts. So one would think that some of her rhetoric would do her political harm. Uh, the reality is her political rhetoric for her her base back in Georgia uh, is really red meat that they take to with gusto. Okay, well, uh, the mayor obviously concerned uh, about uh, her uh, protesting in New York and what that might mean in terms of how she might influence others or, or attract other people to arrive in New York. One person who is in New York obviously is uh, the former president. Uh, what are we going to see today? Uh, it begins with that courthouse appearance, doesn't it, around half eleven this morning? That's right. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's there. He's going to surrender. Uh, you know, he will be subject to the ordinary, I suppose, uh, you know, re- realities of, of arrest. He'll be read his uh, Miranda rights. He'll be fingerprinted. Um, there is some debate and discussion about the mugshot. Remember, I mean, there's been some speculation that Donald Trump would use um, any mugshot as sort of a campaign slogan or he would put it on uh, bumper stickers or T-shirts and make money from it. 
Um, there is some suspicion that there, there mightn't be a need even uh, for a mugshot because mugshots are typically there so that the public will know uh, who this individual who is alleged to have committed a crime, who may be dangerous, so that the public will know uh, who this person is. Uh, Donald Trump is arguably the most recognizable face on the planet. Uh, so whether there's a mugshot needed is an open question. Also, uh, in New York, mugshots aren't automatically public record. So we'll see what happens with the mugshot. But he will be processed just like anyone else. Uh, there will be a brief hearing of sorts. Uh, he then will be allowed to go. Uh, and we know that he intends to return to Mar-a-Lago, where he is going to give a speech and where he is urging uh, Republicans to come and gather uh, in what he hopes will be uh, a big show of support against what he uh, repeatedly calls uh, a political witch hunt by uh, a Democratic uh, district attorney, indeed by uh, a liberal establishment who are out to get him and will not rest until uh, he is behind bars. And again, Trump's version of events is that they want him behind bars because uh, they know that he will be elected president in 2024. Again, that's mm. his theory. Uh, take it he won't be handcuffed uh, or do the perp walk. Uh, I, I did hear some reports that he, he wanted to do the perp walk uh, because uh, it, it would be good for his campaign for the presidency. Yeah, he, I mean, he, you know, Michael, it's quite extraordinary. And again, I, you know, you know, you try to do serious political analysis and then you hear some of the things that Donald Trump says. You know, he said that he would love to do the perp walk. All of this stuff would benefit him. He's reported to even speculate that it would be good if he got shot, uh, because that would mean that he would, you know, that would guarantee his election. So, uh, again, it's hard to be, you know, you'd laugh if if it wasn't so serious that that this is a person who commands such fidelity uh, among the Republican Party faithful. I mean, look at what's happened uh, in the polling since uh, he was indicted, you know, and now leading up to his arrest, Uh, his lead against Ron DeSantis and other Republican challenges has only gotten bigger. Mm. Um, When he's in court, uh, will the cameras be on? Will we see that? It's commonplace uh, for cameras to be in American courts, isn't it? It it is. Uh, My suspicion is not in this instance. Uh, Again, uh, a lot of this will be down to protocol. And even though he's in this, uh, I suppose, you know, extraordinary legal pressure at the moment, uh, the reality is he is still subject to Secret Service protection and Secret Service uh, will be there. So uh, all of that will dictate the protocols and whatever might ordinarily happen. This is going to be a very, very unusual uh, arraignment and hearing. So uh, my guess is that it will be a rather quick affair, um, you know, not just because of the, you know, the concerns I mentioned, but, uh, you know, so that the, whatever circus might be unfolding uh, down on the ground below where the court the courtroom is, uh, so that perhaps that will dissipate and perhaps uh, so that they can get Mr. Trump out of town. Uh, as fast as possible. Certainly, that would be the way uh, mm. I was thinking. Both, if I was in, in New, you know, a New York uh, law enforcement official, and uh, if I was in, involved in the secret security, would be get this done and get him out of here. All right, am I right in thinking, Larry, uh, that he'll be charged? The expectation is that he'll be charged, uh, and then he'll plead not guilty. Uh, but we don't know what the charges are yet. We don't. We have a reasonably good idea, I think. You know, look, the indictment is sealed, and, you know, a lot of people are urging appropriately caution about exactly what's going to be there. But we do know that it is in connection with the, the, the payout to Stormy Daniels. And, you know, those on the inside have, you know, indicated pretty strongly that it's going to involve 
some interplay between state and federal law uh, in terms of the payment that was made. Uh, and in all, in all likelihood, it's probably a difficult legal theory to pursue. We also know that the reality is that there are multiple colorable arguments that Donald Trump's defense team uh, is going to have to put forward, one of those being uh, a statute of limitations issue, given that this happened in 2016 uh, and, you know, we're now in 2023. They'll also make the argument that this is politically motivated. They will have reason for those arguments uh, on both counts, in in my view. And, and Michael, the reality is uh, a lot of people are rejoicing in the idea of Donald Trump uh, at last being arrested and being brought to justice. But of all the swirling clouds over Donald Trump's head, uh, to my mind, this is probably the least troublesome uh, of the ones that are lingering out there. Okay, uh, but uh, in itself, it could prove to be quite serious. And I, I think uh, there's an expectation that Donald Trump will try to drag this out uh, as long as possible to add fuel to his presidential campaign. He might try to take it to the federal courts uh, and to delay it even further. Uh, but there is a prospect, is there not, uh, uh, maybe you can explain this to us, uh, that the charges that he, he's about to face may be made all the more serious and that it could become a felony. Well, that, well, that's right. I mean, there is a, this is going to be a felony charge. I mean, that is, that, that is the reality, that there is none that the, 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 in all likelihood, again, we don't know the contents of the indictment, but in all likelihood, this is, you know, what you might call a wraparound, a, sta- a state charge and a federal charge combined to constitute uh, a felony, which if it is the felony that this campaign finance violation, which in theory at least uh, could result in a period of four years imprisonment, um, that's extremely uh, unlikely. And, you know, you're, you're right to point out the seriousness of it here is because even, you know, casting aside his own liberty, uh, the reality is despite the fact that this has excited elements of the Republican base, uh, the opinion polling now that's just been taken in the past couple of days shows that 60 percent of the uh, American people, the broader American people, not just Republicans, but the general electorate that Donald Trump would need to win over to win the presidency, 60 percent of the people uh, are are, are happy or satisfied uh, with the fact that he has been indicted uh, in this instance. And I I think that bespeaks uh, the problem that he faces and indeed the problem that a lot of Republicans behind closed doors uh, are muttering to themselves about that, which is, look, our faithful love this guy, but he can't win the presidency. And if he's the nominee, he's not only going to lose himself, he could cause us problems down the ballot, which is a big problem for Republicans. Yeah, I can't imagine what it must be like to be in New York today uh, with this circus taking place, uh, or the circuses. Uh, there's many different circuses. There'll be a media circus, no doubt. I'm sure the sky will be full of helicopters and drones and all of that, apart from the number of reporters and, uh, indeed, media companies from uh, around the world uh, who'll be there to look at what's happening, uh, a piece of history that will unfold in front of our eyes. Absolutely. And I think, Michael, the, the, the thing to note is that this is just day one of it. This, this process will continue. But then you look at what's going on down in Georgia, where they're looking at Trump's interference 
uh, with the election campaign. If you're if listeners mm-hmm. recall, he called the secretary of state saying, look, uh, I need you to find me 13000 votes. If you look at what's happening in Florida uh, with the with the classified documents that he that he took uh, and then tried to kept keep for himself and refused to give over. Uh, if you look at what's happening uh, in Washington, D.C. with the investigation into the events of January 6th. All of this stuff is going to generate an extraordinary media frenzy and media circus. Uh, And again, while this excites the base in the short term, I still wonder uh, if Republicans at the end of the day might scratch their heads and say, even though we love you, Donald, even though we think this is a media witch hunt, uh, we need a different messenger. Otherwise, uh, the 2024 election is going to be an absolute debacle for us, which is totally overshadowed by all of these unprecedented uh, legal travails that you're going through that are causing, uh, you know, extraordinary tumult uh, within the American population. And, of course, Michael, the worst-case mm. scenario, the worst-case scenario uh, is that one of his more crazed supporters uh, does something, you know, really crazy in the midst mm. of all of it. Yeah, well, it might only be day one, but it's going to be a very interesting day, a very busy day, and uh, an awful lot for all of us to take in. Larry, thanks, as always, for joining us on the programme today. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway, political correspondent, with the journal.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Well, the real drugs problem in uh, this country began in uh, the 1970s when Larry Don brought heroin uh, to Dolphins Burn and to some degree the rest is history. When he was uh, arrested in the 80s, he infamously said, if you think we were bad, wait till you see what's coming behind us. The Irish Independent is reporting today on what's come behind the feuding drugs gangs in Drogheda and Ken Foy reports that a new gang has entered the void left by the Garda crackdown on feuded gangs in Drogheda. An air code gang move in to fill that void uh, according to the Irish Independent today. The Mayor of Drogheda, Michelle Hall, is is on the line with us now. And a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. This obviously is a worrying development. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Um, yes, it, it always is a worrying development when we hear um, that drug dealing is escalating and that new gangs are starting up. Uh, so, you know, in Drogheda, we've had the drug feud for quite a few years and it has gone quiet, especially since COVID and all of the great work that Operation Stratus um, and Operation Tara has done with it on Garda Shiakana. But there's always, you know, we always kind of knew once um, some criminals were were jailed and some of them are dead now, and um, that there always is a gap because once people um, engage in drug taking, somebody has to obviously supply those drugs. Mm. Um, so there will always be a demand there for drug dealers. Um, so it is kind of a cyclical thing here. And we've, we've, uh, se- we, we've seen the signs. Uh, we've uh, seen the petrol bomb uh, attacks, a uh, number of uh, them in uh, the last months. What, what, what do you know about this new gang? Uh, they use an air code as uh, their identity symbol, as uh, the Irish Independent uh, reports today. Would you say this is... Uh, the Gilligans uh, who followed in the footsteps of the Duns going back uh, to what I was saying earlier on about the 70s and 80s. Yeah, look, I don't really know a whole lot. It hasn't come up at our Joint Policing Committee exactly who these people are. Um, I know a little bit about uh, the Air Code gangs, but um, look, at where there are vulnerable um, youths um, who maybe aren't able to access employment um, you know, suffer from traumas for whatever reasons, um, they will be vulnerable to perhaps 
looking at quick ways of making money. And that's how generally they find people to, to sell their drugs to mm. um, or for. Um, so it, it doesn't surprise me really that we may have um, you know, a certain cohort of youths who are slightly disenfranchised who are on the margins, um, the same way as the travellers were. The, you know, we yeah. know the Maguires were a traveller family. There's 80% unemployment in the traveller community. Um, in a lot of our migrant communities, we would have up to 30-40% unemployment as well, yeah. um, which isn't really discussed quite a lot. But, you know, these are... You know, these are people who are being um, targeted as well, and we can't forget about the vulnerable people and the people living in those communities. And I have heard recently that in 2023, things have started to escalate quite a lot. Um, and, you know, we're not really hearing a lot about it, I suppose, yeah. but it does seem to be happening in communities. You know, it doesn't um, seem that long ago to me that uh, we were talking about the drugs gangs in Drada, and I was being told by people uh, who had great knowledge and understanding of what was going on, that these weren't hardened criminals, uh, that they were selling drugs and, uh, you know, were uh, obviously uh, undesirables, but we weren't going to see some of the gangland stuff uh, that we've become accustomed to between uh, the Kinnahans and that sort of thing. But then the next thing, uh, we saw these people uh, go from whatever they were into very hardened criminals and carry out some of the worst crimes that have ever been committed in this country. Absolutely. And I really uh, don't think we can underestimate the influence of almost copycatting from movies and films. Mm. You know, uh, there was a huge escalation, but very much, um, you know, looking at the narco-style uh, from Mexico and stuff. And, you know, no coincidence that a lot of that is in uh, on our TVs and screens, you know. So there is a lot of copycat there where there doesn't seem to be, you know, where you would have had, like, the code. There would have been a certain amount of code that you don't cross certain lines. There was no code whatsoever in Drada because there was no rule book. They were just, uh, you know, um, you know, these people weren't really ingrained in, in crime for a very long time. Somehow they just got into it and then it just escalated extremely mm. quickly. And again, this would be the fear where there's intimidation and again, quick escalation um, between rival gangs perhaps as well. Yeah. Um, so look, at I, I, I totally abhor that this is happening again in this area. And I really do appeal that our support there with Garda Shia if you are... Um, suffering from any um, persecution and intimidation that uh, the local Gardaí have expertise in this area and do contact them and they will direct you in the right area. Again, there's a lot of support through the Red Door Project and the Family Addiction Support Network in Dundalk. And there are places to go to for people. But again, you know, we heard yesterday... um, the draw implementation reporting, you know, there's a lot of really successful things being done in Drogheda and mm. um, targeting um, drugs uh, crime in the area. You know, we have uh, a drug treatment court liaison officer, Prince Link workers, mm. prison link workers. We also have a youth um, diversion projects that have, you know, seen their funding in- increase significantly in the last couple of years. So there is been a lot of work being done and some that will be more long term work. Um, you know, where we will be looking at, you know... I, I, I don't think it's lived well. up to expectation at all, Mayor, uh, uh, mm. g- given the scale of the problems and the atrocities uh, that people lived with and the fear, the, 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 yes. the fear that everybody had in their day-to-day lives, all of the normal, good, uh, living, um, 
uh, people uh, who would have never have done a thing wrong in their lives are afraid at the sound of a bang in case it was a gunshot or if uh, they were like the woman on Hartman's Garden uh, who felt the breeze of a bullet pass or it was that close within a hair's breadth and so on. Uh, one of, one of uh, the things that strikes me about this particular gang um, is uh, one of the recommendations in, in the Guerin report to look at race relations. Uh, I know when the Implementation Board were with us, uh, they seemed to think that wasn't something that should come under their remit uh, and that it was for culture to deal with. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure how effective all of this really is. I mean, we still have the same amount of drugs, if not more than ever uh, in Drogheda and the surrounding areas uh, and the gangs have gone because of them killing each other uh, and the guard clamped down and the arrests and so on uh, but now we have new gangs ready to take over because there's this market which is ripe for uh, an organisation to build itself uh, and its reputation and uh, all of its wealth in this town. Yeah, we um, we heard from um, representatives from the Red Door Project as well that you know there's a lot of um, smoking weed in the town and cocaine use is extremely high so it is as well um, you know probably looking at the reasons why is it is it cheaper for young people to take it than going out and drinking in nightclubs um, you know what are the reasons that they're partaking in these is it around the GAA clubs are they you know is there partying afterwards and that people are mm. um, are, are using uh, cocaine perhaps like you know but yeah. It, it is really difficult. It's a very complex issue um, that has to be dealt with on a national level, not just on the local level as well. Mm. Um, and I do feel that, um, you know, even I tried to set up a community group myself in the north side of Drogheda because I was looking at um, a lot of young people coming in um, from different countries who perhaps, you know, might find it difficult readjusting to life in Ireland through their parents and everything. And there just wasn't the demand there for setting up a group. But I could mm. see a couple of years ago that this is a gap in in Drogheda, um, you know, that they could be exploited very easily. Yeah. Um, and that they, as I say, don't have the same means perhaps to um, employment and education um, whether it's problems with literacy, numeracy, etc. Mm. As we know that most criminals, um, most people who engage in drug dealing that generally come from difficult backgrounds themselves. And uh, But it is also people who are buying the drugs, you mm. know. So people, why are people... People, you know, people will identify a lot of the drug dealers to you. There's a lot of people who'll tell you where they live uh, and wonder why nothing is done about it. Then they'll tell you that the drug dealers have had their houses petrol bombed. Uh, and petrol bombed again and surely it's obvious that there's something going on in that house but nothing seems to happen. Well I wouldn't say nothing seems to happen because there is a lot of drug seizures and the Operation Stratus has been very successful in January they had one million euro seizure of Mm. cannabis I mean that's huge. Oh I know but have you not heard stories like that anecdotally from people who'll tell you that they know that drug dealers houses are being petrol bombed uh, many times over uh, and they continue to live there selling drugs. Well, if that's something that you're going to have to address with Angarda Shiokana, mm. um, you know, why is there enforcement being done there? And I'm sure they do know and they're trying their best to uh, target those drug dealers. Um, as I say, they are making huge seizures. We know mm. that they're very successful, but the drug issue is not going away. Mm. Um, that is part of the, the problem here in Ireland. Um, do we 
I don't know. Mm. Do we have to look at international research and see what's the best way to deal with this? This, this um, gang straddles uh, Drogheda and Balbriggan and uh, according to the Irish Independent they're selling some of uh, their drugs uh, on the internet. Uh, is that something that you've heard of? Uh, no, but it wouldn't surprise me in any way. I mm. mean, that's how you, most young people communicate nowadays through Snapchat, through Instagram, through TikTok. Um, it seems to be an easy way to, to sell drugs. Uh, it doesn't surprise me in the least. That's their form of communication. Um, they're not standing on corners selling drugs. This is the new way of, of dealing drugs. Okay. Well, hopefully um, we don't hear too much more about uh, no. this group who are using an air code as uh, the gang symbol. But uh, we leave it there for the moment, Michelle. Thank you indeed for Thank joining you. us on the programme. That's the Mayor of Drogheda, Michelle Hall. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you heard on LMFM's news, there was a bitter debate on uh, the evictions ban at Meath County Council following a motion tabled by Sinn Féin to extend the ban up to the end of the year. We'll debate this now with Michael Gallagher, Sinn Féin councillor, who tabled that motion, and Fine Gael councillor Gerry O'Connor. And a very good morning to both of you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Michael Gallagher, first of all, can you explain to us why the council was allowed to debate your motion uh, if your motion was completely pointless? Uh, well, a motion wasn't pointless. Well, uh, no, your motion was pointless because you could vote um, all day on extending the ban, but it would not have extended the ban, so therefore it was completely pointless. Well, it's never too late to uh, to reverse a bad decision, in my opinion. So, Are you telling me that Mead County Council would sit down and debate as to whether to send a man to the moon or not? No, what, what, what is there, and Mead County Council are, are very much involved in this, Mead County Council... Uh, and, and uh, local authorities right across the whole country are being blamed by the Minister at times, by Fianna Fáil, that, that they are... W- would Mead County Council debate whether to send a man to the moon or not? No, would that not be... That wouldn't be relevant to Mead County Council. It wouldn't be allowed because it would be a stupid thing to debate, no, wouldn't it? Mead County Council are uh, very actively involved in the delivery of houses. Not, not uh, actively enough in my opinion, but... Uh, but you've no jurisdiction issue, yeah. over the eviction ban. No, but we want to get a message to the Minister that we, uh, in County Mead, will suffer because of this eviction ban. So uh, that's basically to highlight the position, to highlight the fact that people over the weekend, uh, man, I was dealing with for 13 years on the housing list, on the Mead County Council housing list, uh, and uh, was told when I made inquiries that uh, he was evicted last Saturday. He was told that he, he's 10th in line for a house in Kells. Uh, what he was given was a hat for him that is no good to him. He was, he, he, he he was evicted immediately Kells. on Saturday, uh, the first day uh, uh, he, that it was he, possible. He, he, mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. landlord tried mm-hmm. to evict him on Friday and I, I told him to stay on. That it was mm-hmm. illegal to do it. Mm-hmm. The landlord wouldn't allow him to stay till Monday to get some... He's living uh, on the generosity of his family and this is, is one of thousands of people that's happened right across the state. This is an emergency. And the only lever I have as a local politician is to uh, raise it at the lo- local council. Or I, I can't go to the all with it. So what I was doing on my behalf was, was highlighting the hardship that this has caused. And we haven't got any alternative to housing. That is a man okay. 14 years on the list. He's told he's 10th on, on the waiting list. And... 
Uh, and again, I appreciate uh, all the hardship and, and the stress that the council officials are going through because of this. Uh, and it, it was very uh, important to raise it at, at, at the Meath County Council, where they are at the... OK, let me go to Jerry O'Connor, if I can, please, Michael. Um, do you believe that the ban should have been lifted uh, on Friday night, midnight, uh, and have resulted in the eviction of uh, that man that Michael Gallagher was talking about on Saturday morning? Uh, look, it was debated and it all aired. It went for a vote and it was decided by the legislators that the, 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 the it, it was going to be lifted. Mm. Uh, so it really is not to do with county councillor. But do you, do you have an uh, opinion on it? Do you believe that it should have happened? <clears throat> I don't believe it should have been introduced in the first place. Because mm. you ever, when you introduce a temporary measure like that, when you try to take it away, and even Michael Gallagher yesterday, I mean, the motion was fairly clear. It stated that uh, till the end of the year. But then Michael Gallagher was talking about 10 months or 11 months of mm. having a look at it. So it, to be honest, it was never going to come to fruition, even if the motion had been successful. Uh, and what, what what really annoyed me was that how politically uh, Councillor Fancy introduced the motion mm. uh, and and basically trying to drive a wedge between landlords and residents and okay. putting a fear of God into them. But if, if you don't have confidence in the government's capability of putting measures in place over 10 months after already having six months of a, a ban... Uh, to stop people from being evicted, maybe uh, somebody else should be put into government, somebody who can do the job. But the problem is, uh, if they have put the measures in, some of the measures are already there, and the people who are, who are lining up for the job from, from Michael's party, uh, they want to abolish the health device scheme. Over 37,000 homes have already been bought and benefit from this plan. We put in a new first home scheme, which provides equity up to 20% in a new property. They want to ab- abolish that. They want to eliminate the new uh, vacant and derelict property grants, 50,000 to, re- to bring the houses back, uh, old houses back up. up to, uh, initially it was for cities. Now it's been extended to rural areas and city centres. And Sinn Féin want to scrap that. They talk about uh, they're not trying to vilify landlords and, and they want to keep them in the, in the marketplace so they can keep tenure for, 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 for renters. Mm. And the first thing they want to do is they want to introduce a tax of 400 extra on landlords. They want to abolish their, their actual rights, which are enshrined in the Constitution. Uh, and, and basically, this is where they, they, they promised, this is, Michael, this is unbelievable, they promised to deliver 20,000 social houses if they were in government in 2023, which is double what the construction industry can actually do. And they want to do it overnight. Like it's fairly tale stuff. This is unicorn stuff. I think the government delivered 30,000 houses last year and it's open uh, to do a lot more. Uh, that the, uh, no, social houses, sorry, I meant to say social okay, houses. Okay, okay. Social All right, um, uh, there is a point in all that, is there not, Michael Gallagher? If you look at uh, the reasons landlords are leaving, the, or the, re- the reasons that they're issuing the notices to quit, the termination notices, 58% of those uh, that were... Uh, uh, given in the last quarter we, uh, were we because back, people were selling up. If we go back to 1930, there was Fianna Fáil and under the was building 6,000 houses a year, social houses a year. That went on to the 70s until, and I said it yesterday, the brown envelope got involved. Uh, and, and then they relied on private developers to supply the houses, to de- de- dependent on landlords, and uh, 
the later on we allowed the vulture funds uh, under Michael Noonan, fine Gael minister, allowed the vulture funds to come in here tax free, and there is people making colossal money on the hardship of people. There's young people today, and, and these are people that working in, in, in high quality jobs. That if they're evicted, they have no option on the immigration or go back and live with the fa- their families. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have been in power this last hundred years, mm. and this is where we're finished up. All right. They're talking about Sinn Féin. We haven't been in power in this state. Let me go back and, to Gerry O'Connor because, as he says, Fianna Fáil and uh, Fine Gael have uh, been in government or in some form of a relationship over the last 10 years or whatever it is uh, and opinion is divided it seems between the two parties uh, and um, I'm not sure if you heard Peter Mac very uh, talking a, a, about Leo Radker the Taoiseach uh, overriding Dara O'Brien's decision the Minister for Housing wanted to keep that ban we can actually hear what Peter McVerry had to say to South East Radio now I have never been so angry <laughs> this is just an appalling a decision by government. Uh, my understanding is that uh, the Minister for Housing wanted to extend the ban and was acting in, uh, in, in, in preparation for extending the ban, but he was overridden by the Taoiseach. What do you make of that, Jerry O'Connor? I don't believe it. I think the Taoiseach has come out and, and, and said it's 100% incorrect. Mm, he has. Um, so, so, I mean, it's all very well to, to say something on radio of an opinion and it's gospel. Mm-hmm. But if it's not true, I mean, I mean, that's that's the reality of it. He's come out and he says that it's incorrect. It's one hundred percent incorrect. And Peter McVerry stands over though, and he, he says he has reliable sources who have given him this information. Oh, so it's hearsay. Well, it's like a, a lot of reporting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From look, there's, trusted there's, there's, sources there's, who, who don't reveal their sources, so it's yes, it is hearsay. Uh, it's hearsay, but it's hearsay uh, from Father Peter McVerry, uh, and okay. you're you're you're, you're no, saying no, that it should it be dismissed. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the, the teacher has come out and said it's 100 incorrect. You asked my opinion, mm-hmm. so I obviously the teacher is a colleague of mine, yeah. uh, and 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 I accepted his, his his explanation. You asked about the 10 years. You're you're right. And, and Michael Gallagher actually mentioned it yesterday that we're in Paris since 2011, and he forgets that in 2011 the country was a busted flush, and that we had the tricon to 2013. We couldn't make our own budgets without getting them approved in Europe until 2013. problems. No, but hold on a second. In that twelve years, we've been, we, 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 how, how many years have you had the the, the housing breach? Mm, well, they were had it for five years. Finnegale campaigned in the two thousand. Finnegale campaigned in the two thousand and eleven uh, election uh, on the basis that it would solve the housing crisis. Yeah, yeah, but we went into, into into power. We were busted. You must remember we had to try to. We couldn't even do a budget. False promise. That was a false promise you made, and it has failed completely. Because to me, the housing. I tell you, I tell you, Michael, your reading of it. I mean, first of all, you're you're a county councillor. We've we've passed the biggest budget we've ever passed, which has been funded primarily through through government funding. We've increased. We've reduced our deficit over the years. The country's in a better place now. We've a bigger population. We're heading towards four percent unemployment. Uh, and, and yes, there's a problem with housing. The more we build houses, and it's a, it's a matter of supply. But it would help if your party and your TDs and your senators and your councillors around the country stopped. 
objection to houses. You have objected well, to the new okay, houses. Okay, let him respond. Let him respond. Then we're going to have to wrap up. In County Mead, can you tell me anywhere where Sinn Féin has objected to housing development? Anywhere. We have, we can, you came along. Well, you've asked that question, Jerry O'Connor. Can you... No, I didn't okay. mention Security Mead. I'm All talking right. about the okay. housing problem. Because well, when the yeah, figures okay. are talked about, he's not specifically talking about the housing problem. Okay, well, we, 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 we've heard a lot about that outside of the county. We leave it there for the moment, well, though, uh, uh, <laughs> on that very sore point. But thank you both indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Michael Gallagher, Sinn Féin councillor, and Gerry O'Connor, Fine Gael councillor, both councillors on Mead County Council. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Time now for uh, the Garda Crime Spot, which is, uh, as usual, around this time on a Tuesday. But a, a very different crime spot uh, this week. We're joined by Garda Olga Bacon of uh, Trim Garda Station, and we're going to talk uh, about members of the public impersonating members of Angarda Shia Khanna. Good morning to you, Garda Bacon, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. There's a lot of concern about this, and there's a, a number of incidents to report on. And we're going to begin with two such incidents in Cavan uh, and in Kells. Yes, Michael, so on Wednesday, the 29th of March, at around 11am, two males called to a home at Men Prospect, Mount Nugent in Cavan. And they produced what appeared to be a guard badge and asked the homeowner if they'd lost any money. The homeowner in this incident refused the entry and the suspects left in a small brown or beige vehicle. So later that day, um, Guardian Kells received two calls in relation to a male calling to the homes of elderly people impersonating a plainclothes guard. The male was described as being around six foot tall, slim build, wearing a peaked cap and a blue surgical face mask. At approximately 12.30pm, the suspect called to an address in a housing estate in Oldcastle. The male stated that he was from the local guard station and showed the lady a badge on his jacket. He had a number of euro notes in his hand and asked the homeowner if she'd lost any money. The homeowner questioned the male and didn't allow him entry. He left the scene. Around 20 minutes later, it's our belief that the same male called to the home of a lady residing in Smithtown, Bamalock and Kells. He again asked the homeowner if they had lost money and introduced himself as a detective and showed her some sort of badge. He then showed her money that was in his hand. Again, the homeowner immediately closed the door and dialed 999. In both occurrences, the witnesses stated that a large silver vehicle had been observed near the home. A suspicious vehicle matching this description was observed by an off-duty guard who reported it driving slowly at 1.45pm in the area of Moylock, Dramone, with two males on board, the driver wearing a peaked cap. The vehicle drove in the direction of the Castle Pollard Road and was last seen at 2 o'clock, heading in the direction of the Ballymanus or Ballymacree area. Gardaí and Kells are looking after that incident and they're asking you to call them on 46 928 if you have any information. Okay, great to hear that people were so vigilant and uh, sent uh, these gangsters on their way, despite them claiming to be members of Angarda Shia Khanna uh, and showing what looked to be badges for that matter. But not everybody uh, has been uh, as lucky or as vigilant. Uh, and we've uh, stories now from Navin and Dardistown. Yes, yeah, so on Thursday, the 30th of March at around 10.35 a.m., a male described as being 5 foot 10 in height, of stocky bills with brown or reddish hair and in his 40s, wearing a blue sleeveless jacket, brown trousers and black runners knocked at the, home, the door of a home in Halltown in Navin County Mead. The suspect asked the homeowner if her house had been broken into as he'd arrested two young lads at the gate. Again, this male produced an item that resembled a guard badge. 
The lady said she didn't believe him and asked him to leave. When he did leave, he left in a small beige or brown vehicle. Later on that day, at around 11.30, two male suspects called to a home in Town, the Ward County Maid. Two suspects entered the home and one male produced, again, what looked like a Garda ID badge in a black wallet. He stated they'd arrested the young lad for stealing when looking around. The occupier asked both males to leave and just before they did, unfortunately, they grabbed envelopes which contained cash. Again, a similar type vehicle, that brown or beige vehicle, was observed in the area. Navangardi and Ashburngardi are investigating. You can contact Navangardi station on 046-903-6100 and Ashburngardi station can be contacted at 018010600. Okay, there's obviously a, a word of warning for all of us in, uh, in these stories. Absolutely, Michael. So there have been a number of incidents and these incidents aren't reducing. Gardaí wants to get the message out that not to let these criminals in and to phone 999. There's no Garda out there that's going to be take, take offence or be upset if you verify their identity. Ask them for their name and their station and tell them you're making the call and call 999. A trained call take will be able to either verify the identity of the Garda or in the case where it is a bogus caller, get you assistance. We don't seem to be seeing the end of this trend. These criminals tell, are telling the homeowner they found cash. They ask them to check theirs. They're pushing in. They're trying to get in past the homeowner. They'll rummage through the house and take whatever valuables they can find. We are finding from the reports we get that they're very plausible and come across very, very mannerly. And they're using any excuse to get into your home. And they are targeting our elderly community. It's not clear whether houses are being checked by the culprits, but our local crime prevention officer does believe that information is being passed on. There's been specific burglaries where a person has returned from post office, for example, with their pension. One such example was a lady had been in hospital for a number of weeks and has collected multiple weeks of her pension. So these are indicating that local information is somehow circulating back to the, the criminals that are carrying out these um, burglaries. But targeting a very specific um, elderly people in the community who more than likely live alone and in majority cases live in rural areas that are isolated. We want to remind people again that we will never approach a homeowner about cash. And if they're not happy with our identification or the identification of anybody who calls to the door, don't let them in and ring 999. Mm. Another not so um, prevalent um, scam that's happening is people are calling and claiming they've lost a dog or a cat. And of course, we all want to be helpful. We all want to be nice. But again, they're trying to get into your home. Um, somebody might distract you at the front door and a second person go around to the back door. So it is important that we keep our back doors closed and locked as well. Indeed. Uh, it's hard to believe. Uh, it's hard to believe that there's so many people going to so much bother to try and uh, fool people like that uh, and indeed heartless uh, in the way that they're going about it. Uh, but uh, I think uh, us knowing that there's that threat uh, will act as a great preventative and give people the tools uh, and indeed the determination to say, no, uh, you're not coming in and uh, I'm going to call the Garda station and verify whether you're a member of the Garda uh, and that uh, they uh, will be uh, aware that this is happening. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Much appreciated. That's Garda Olga Bacon of Trim Garda Station. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. That's our programme for today though. Maggie McGuire Research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael and God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. 
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.